a whirlwind of sports conversation to be had, and you'll find it all right here on this new episode. The Utah Jazz had an exciting trade deadline and have a new-looking roster. What potential impact could a leaving coach have on the Utes? Plus, the running Utes are in the final stretch of their season. Our analysis on that later. And for our weekly draft segment this week, what are our starting five Wizards from Harry Potter? Doing that because of the Hogwarts Legacy game that just dropped. Jazz players are posting about it. I'm playing it. It's it's great. Everyone's talking about it, and so will we. So that's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. Richie, as always, talk to us about some jazz. All right. Well, the jazz had a pretty exciting week. Um, More exciting than most weeks, let's be honest. Uh, It was filled with trades, new players, and kind of a different change of direction for this season. Um, But expectations will probably shift as the jazz just try to stay afloat. And losing might be big for the jazz's future. Um, they have a good chance at getting like a top six pick if they just kind of start losing games. I'm excited. Um, Utah football had some intriguing news over the weekend as offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig interviewed with Coach Freeman and Notre Dame. Uh, and sources say that he's the favorite, so we will see how that unfolds in the coming days, probably in the in this next week or so. And Cam Rising also publicly announced on the Bill Riley show last Friday that he did, in fact, tear his ACL in the Rose Bowl. They didn't really say what injury he had for the longest time. We now know it was his ACL, but he says he's ready to go by the season opener against Florida. So we got Cam Rising back for another year. Let's see how he does. The running Utes had a really quality win against Colorado on Saturday. Uh, They gear up to play both Arizona teams this week, starting with Arizona State on is Arizona State on it's Saturday Arizona. And Arizona on Thursday. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Arizona just lost to Stanford, so who knows what's going on there. Um, but Utes are currently third in the Pac-12 because everybody decides that they just don't want to win games. So kind of interesting. But well, they're on pace I, for their best finish. I think it's interesting that Stanford has just decided to wake up in the last like two weeks and like they can play good basketball and then they like they beat Oregon, Arizona, and Utah. Which yeah, yeah. I I talked about this last week. They have some guys, like, like some yeah. legitimate guys. Yeah, which is interesting. But then other games they show up and they seem to, you know, match Oregon State. And you're kind of like, what the heck? But yeah, running Utes and Pac-12 basketball is getting lit. I'm excited to talk about that. But hey, big news. Super Bowl. Gee, give me your thoughts, man. We got so much to talk about. You got Rihanna, she's pregnant again. We've got weird dudes in like white hoodies also for the halftime show we got a ton of memes <laughs> there you've got the a lot of people discussing that penalty at the end of the game just give me your thoughts what, what did you think i thought it was a fun super bowl it's it's always fun when it's close um rihanna halftime i thought that was great uh it was kind of funny being with my family watching that and they're like everybody's complaining about how naughty the dances are and stuff I'm like guys we had who was it a couple years ago? Jennifer Lopez. That was just it was working on pretty much. Yeah, I was I was on my I was on my my mission during the Shakira J Lo halftime performance, and like people were talking <laughs> about it. They're like, "This is a disgrace! Like our children should not be watching this." 
Dude, but I, w- I wish I could have been there yesterday with uh, Coach Steve uh, going off about. Was he the one going off about how dirty the the halftime performance was? Oh, he he didn't say too much about it. It was it was more of the other people. It was, it was okay. interesting. It's just funny to watch though. I was like, wow, That's this funny. is relatively mellow. But it wasn't that bad. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, I, maybe I thought we're too much in the world. Great, dude. Yeah. Rihanna has so many good songs. It's it's kind of crazy. I for I think everyone forgot how many bangers she had. Like back to back to back. I was like, geez, this is another one I totally forgot, and it was so good. So yeah, I agree. But game, what, what thoughts about the game? What do you? I thought it was think? a good game. Um, I mean, obviously Mahomes is really good, and the fact that he was able to overcome that injury within the game and be able to will his team to victory is really impressive. Um, his second MVP this year, second Super Bowl, ended the MVP Super Bowl drought. Um, just really impressive. And shout outs to the Eagle squad. They played a really, really good season. They have a really bright future with Jalen Hurts. I, he just the way he's able to attack defenses on his feet, um, <laughs> with an incredible arm. It's just it's something that we're seeing a lot in new quarterbacks. But it's really cool to see it on that big of a stage. And I kind of think as he keeps developing and learning the game, he'll be really fun to watch. And that Eagles team, they're really good. They have so many weapons. They're a really fun watch. But um, Thatcher, I think we're just going to have to stay away from our predictions from now on because we were like, oh, for whatever, our last couple of predictions. We predicted Eagles. We predicted Niners. Yeah, I I think we should stick to basketball. I think we'll be better at predicting the NBA playoffs than the NFL playoffs for sure. But listen, I think personally, I still think the Eagles are the better team overall. The Chiefs like went off in the second half, but like I say if that game happens 10 times, I think the Eagles still win more than 5. I don't know. That's just my opinion. But shout out to the Chiefs, like they got it done. Patrick celebrating in Disneyland, you know? I don't know. I just feel like I just feel like the Eagles should have could not should have or could have, but I feel like if they did play more than once, the Eagles would have won most of them. But that's just my talk. But besides the point, hey, we got big news to talk about. This is your realm. This is like where everything we've been talking about for the last month finally comes together and you get to you just get to display your wealth and knowledge of the NBA trade deadline on us. And not only am I excited, but I think the listener should be excited for what you have to offer us about what happened in the NBA. So uh, take it away. All right. I'll just I'll just kind of ramble on for a little bit. But um, obviously the biggest trade was Kevin Durant getting traded to the Phoenix Suns. I personally had no idea that was coming. Um, I mean, obviously he had his trade request last summer. So you kind of like go back in time and start connecting the dots and it makes sense that it happened, especially with Kyrie um, requesting his trade and getting traded to Dallas earlier in the week. Um but yeah, the Suns, brand new owner, literally first week on the job, and he's making a move for Kevin Durant. I think it's awesome. Uh, Phoenix gave up a lot, gave up some really good players in Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson, um, as well as Jay Crowder, who wasn't playing for them. Gave up four first-round picks, and Brooklyn has to be looking at their situation like, hey, we could could have been worse, could have been worse. Um I, th- I think all things considered, they're in a pretty good spot. They have every 3 and D wing in the NBA right now on their team, though. They got Dorian Finney-Smith, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Royce O'Neal. It's just, you could go on and on. Um, they're they're kind of an, an interesting team, though, just because of where they're positioned. They'll probably be in the playoff race. Um, for the Phoenix Suns, I mean, you have three of the best mid-range shooters 
probably three out of the four best mid-range shooters in the NBA, in my opinion, on that team. Um, and with DeAndre Ayton, and they've gotten some decent pickups since they, they picked up Darius Baisley. I think he'll help them. They got Terrence Ross from the buyout market. Really good pickup. And Phoenix is kind of in an interesting place. They'll definitely be the team to watch. It was interesting watching their odds just jump, jump up so high. Um, but yeah, that's probably the biggest trade of the deadline. Um, going on some other ones, the Jazz obviously had their th- three-team trade. I think from a name perspective and the teams that were involved, that was a very big one because it's the Lakers, because it was Russell Westbrook. Everybody was talking about that one. Um, we can get a little bit more into that one later. And then honestly, just a lot of contenders made marginal improvements that I think will be big down the line. Um, it's interesting because I think Kevin Durant going to the Suns had a big impact on that. Like some of these teams I didn't think would be buyers necessarily. Um, but because Durant is in Phoenix, it creates sort of an arms race. So Crowder got to the Bucks through a three-team trade with Indiana and, and Brooklyn. Uh, Jalen McDaniels to Philly. That's a really good pickup. Um, Jalen McDaniels is a really good defender. He'll help them a lot. Mike Muscola to Boston. Pretty decent pickup. He'll play some of their backup center minutes and really good shooter. Heck, he torched the Jazz just a couple weeks ago. Thomas Bryant to Denver. That's a very interesting one to me because Denver really struggles without Jokic on the floor. And I think Thomas Bryant is okay. He's had some really good games this season. And then the Clippers are, they like like we all predicted, they made a lot of moves. Got Eric Gordon, Mason Plumley, Bones Highland. And I think the only player they gave up was, I guess they gave up a couple. They gave up Luke Kennard and John Wall. And they're sitting in a really pretty position. I mean, Bones Highland is probably going to be a developmental project for them, but he's still a good player. Um, Mason Plumley will give him really good backup center minutes off the bench. And then Eric Gordon, I still think Eric Gordon's got some le- juice left in the tank. And that'll be fun for Clippers fans as he was a Clipper in the past. But it was a really exciting trade, trade deadline. I only mentioned like probably a third of the trades that happened. There were just a bunch of very small ones like, Kessler Edwards going to Sacramento, you know, who cares really doesn't change the league, but um, yeah, really good trade deadline. Really interesting. I don't, I don't think we've ever had a trade deadline that interesting. No, I thought it was like packed start to finish. Like I never felt like there was a break. It was awesome. Like I, I tweeted out. I feel like the NBA trade deadline day is like a Monday holiday. You're like, you're in school, things are going well. And then you look on the schedule like, oh yeah, that's coming up. And then you look forward to it. And when it comes, I feel like it always delivers for the most part. And usually when the trade deadline hits, you know, 3 p.m., 4 p.m., that's usually when you the holiday kind of ends and you realize you got school again tomorrow or you got work again tomorrow. It's perfect. And this one did not disappoint whatsoever. It started off with the Kevin Durant trade very late the night before. And so it was funny because a lot of players on the East Coast and the Eastern Conference kind of woke up and realized, oh, shoot, like there was a really big trade in the league that we did not know about. And I'm really interested more than ever now for the Western Conference playoffs because I think every single round is going to be so exciting. We talked all last week about the impact that the Kyrie Irving trade would have in the West. And now you add Kevin Durant to that mix. Like you go through every single team in the West. And I feel like every team besides two or three, right, that are obviously trying to rebuild, like mostly every team has a very good chance and has a argument to be able to make it far in the playoffs so i think like always the east 
in terms of the playoffs will not be as competitive in my opinion. I still think that there's like a marginal difference between or a, a very big difference between the top two and th- two or three teams and then the rest. And that's usually how the East always is. But this, the, it's the wild, wild West for sure um, going into this last stretch. And as much as I hate Suns fans, listen, they got a good starting five now and they can brag all about it because just like you said, new owner just decides to, hey, I'm going to show, I'm going to show everyone what I can do. And he brings the big table, brings in Kevin Durant. And yeah, we'll talk about the Jazz trade later. But I think, like you said, most teams, besides these two or three big time trades, because they involved big time players, the moves that everyone made, I feel like no one really lost a ton. Like no one would get terrible grades on the trades. I feel like for the most part, everyone kind of got who they wanted to in terms of rotation. And most of them were kind of to add to either bench bench minutes or like second rotation guys that can basically help the other guys on their team. So I'm excited for this final stretch of the season. I think after the all-star break, it's going to be so exciting to watch at the NBA. Um, I feel like before there's been a lot of talk. We talked about it last week. A lot of players have been sitting out and stuff like that. But usually after the all-star break is kind of when things start heating up because players were and organizations start thinking about seeding the games will be a lot more competitive. And now with these new rosters, I just think it's going to be so fun to watch. So excited to talk about jazz right now as we go into the jazz segment. And of course, as always, it's brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Guys, the action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook. And especially this summer with tons of ways to bet on your all favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000. And if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Richie, take us away. We talked about every other trade. Now let's talk about the Jazz trade. What are your thoughts? How does this impact the Jazz and the T-Wolves and the Lakers and all the players involved? Yeah, so, I mean, that trade was crazy. Let me just recap what it was. It was Russell Westbrook to the Jazz along with Juan Toscano-Anderson, Damian Jones, and a 2027 top four protected pick, which if it is in the top four, it will convey into a second round pick, I believe. Um, Yeah, the protection on that was kind of crazy. It was like something where most people were very shocked by um, the result because usually they'll convey into like multiple second round picks, but the fact that it could just um, convey into one second round pick that year would be astonishing. Yeah. so I think I think that was that that was the Lakers side. Then the Jazz sent away Beasley, Vanderbilt to the Lakers, Mike Conley and Nikhil Alexander Walker to the Timberwolves, as well as I think a, maybe a second round pick to the Timberwolves. And I think the Lakers might have sent a second round pick. Um, and then the Lakers sent De- or the Timberwolves sent D'Angelo Russell to LA back to where he where he started. Um, it was a really interesting trade. I think from the Jazz perspective, there were obviously some initial there was some initial blowback when people first heard about it. I think it's sad to see Mike Conley go, as well as Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt, who both played really hard this season, 
Both played really well. Um, Malik Beasley ended up number 26 all-time in threes in Jazz history. Like, he played half a season, and he's number 26. I, I He was on pace to break the single-season record. He was phenomenal. It was awesome watching him. He'll be a really great addition to the Lakers where he'll get to play with Scottie Pippen Jr. Um, and for those that don't know, he did have a little brief thing with Scottie Pippen Jr.'s mother. So that, that's just a little side note. Um, but overall, like from this trade from a basketball perspective, it doesn't help the Jazz a ton on the court. Um, off the court, however, with their future draft capital, I think it could be big. Um, there's a lot of reason to believe that LA isn't going to be a great team after LeBron leaves. Uh, before LeBron got there, in 2013, they were 27 and 55. In 2014, they were 21 and 61. 2015, 17 and 65. 2016, 26 and 56. And then 2017, 35 and 47. Started to turn it around a little bit. Um, there's no reason to believe that this team without LeBron is going to be good. Heck, they're not even good right now with LeBron. Uh, their ownership has shown a lot of errors. I think they had a really good trade deadline, so I will give them some credit. But they've consistently made errors. They've um, listened to the wrong people within their organization. They've made extensions, um, specifically the extension to Rob Polinko, which I think was a mistake. And the Lakers, they're not like the Clippers. They don't have an owner who is just in flowing with billions of billions of dollars the bus family doesn't have the kind of money that steve ballmer has and so that's going to be really interesting with their willingness to spend in the future and if you think about all that then that 2027 pick all of a sudden looks a lot better the jazz it seems like they didn't have a lot of options and it seems like this was going to be the option it was going to be between one good pick in 2027 or a couple of crappy first-round picks in like the 14 to 30 range um, with heavy protections on them. And if you think about it, I'd, one first-round pick with the chance of being really good is a lot better than two picks that are probably going to be very middle, very medium. And I think the Jazz made the right trade. I think, could they have gotten more? Maybe. But the trade dead market, the trade line market was really interesting this year. Um, the Jazz were supposed to be the only sellers, but a lot of teams ended up being sellers, and some of the teams we thought would be sellers didn't end up making any moves. Um, it seems like people around the league don't value the Jazz players the same way that some of us might. That might speak to our fan bias, but I was really impressed with Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt as well as Mike Conley this season. All of them played really good basketball. And I thought the combination of Beasley and Vanderbilt would net a first-round pick as well as Mike Conley, who is on pretty much an expiring contract next year. But, I mean, all things considered, Jazz have 15 first-round picks. They have a lot of flexibility with their cap, with all of it in the next couple of years. And they're positioning themselves to be in a really good spot for the next couple of years with a lot of flexibility in a lot of different ways. What did you think about the trade, Thatch? I thought that while, like you said, a lot of people had some initial negative thoughts, especially on the Jazz side, they thought that they didn't get enough back for what they gave away. I thought overall for all three teams, every team that was involved got, I think, something that boosted them in the direction that they wanted to go. 
Like, if you look at the Lakers, before the huge Kevin Durant trade, I thought, and I still think, like, the Lakers will make the playoffs, in my opinion. And I thought that with that roster, they could have a good shot at making some noise in the playoffs. Now, I don't know how that's going to happen now with the West just being absolutely nuts. But LeBron's got a solid roster. Like, the biggest thing that was limiting him, and everyone could see, was the they didn't have shooting over in L.A. And so it was easy to guard LeBron. It was easy to hold him. He's still putting up great points this year but you could just see it was limiting the Lakers offense, but being able now to have Malik Beasley, you now have outside shooting D'Angelo Russell and Vanderbilt. I just think is an overall great piece on the floor. He can do things on both sides of the ball. I think that helped the Lakers. And so far in the first, first few games, the Lakers have really liked their new players. They've liked the new additions uh, for the T wolves. I think Mike Conley was good because of the veteran and the amount of years that he's played in the NBA. I think that's what the wolves are missing. I mean, it was also reported that D'Angelo Russell was straight up, just did not like Rudy Gobert, was saying it on the court to staff and the organization. Obviously, that's toxic. And we've learned that, hey, even if you don't have a good roster, having chemistry matters in the league. Like, look at the 2017-18 Jazz, like where Ricky Rubio is your starting point guard, but the Jazz were still good because I think chemistry played a big role in that when talent was lacking on that roster. I think the T-Wolves have a great roster. Now they have a ton of talent, but I think Mike Conley can now boost the chemistry, especially with Gobert. He knows how to play pick and roll with him, and I feel like that offense can now expand to what it. I think the Timberwolves thought it would be with Gobert originally coming in the offseason. And then for the Jazz, like you said, this wasn't a move to improve play on the floor this year. Um, we've already gone over how important Beasley and Vanderbilt and Conley were to this roster. You've already seen how important Conley was to marketing and spacing the floor making good passes um he was definitely needed for the jazz to succeed this year we've already talked about it multiple episodes in the past but the jazz have already had a successful season in the fact that we know which direction they want to go and we know that the jazz have good players from this these last few trades they're going to keep moving forward heck you got an all-star out of a trade like you traded basically an all-star for an all-star and you did it for a lot less money. You have now have a ton of cap space. And just like you said, you have 15 first round draft picks. Now Danny Ainge has the room to make the trades that he wants to, to kind of go in the direction that he needs. And you have the assets to do so now. And originally, yes, I think because we love Mike Conley so much and because he's such a great guy, he made some great plays for us. I think initially jazz fans wanted more like they wanted more picks back for him because we thought Beasley was at least worth one second round pick for himself, maybe a first round pick, but that Mike Conley for sure was worth a first round pick by himself. But I think you also have to look at postseason production. I mean, last year in the playoffs, Mike Conley was shooting like 30% uh, from the floor. Like he didn't really add anything. And we had Donovan Mitchell on one leg, kind of doing everything for the jazz. So as great as Mike Conley has been, I think just like you said, the jazz got enough. Um, and I feel like they got just what they needed in order to keep going in the direction. Like there wasn't really that much room. It's kind of take it or leave it. And the jazz decided to take it because the more assets they have, the more they can do. So just like we've been saying before as well, I think the off season is going to be exciting to see what are the initial steps that the jazz do to move in this direction. But hey, I'm excited to see Toscano Anderson and Damian Jones suit up and play and see how they do. Um, I think I've enjoyed playing them a few times. I, I can't say that I've watched Damian Jones play a lot. Um, 
but I can remember seeing Toscano Anderson playing a few times and I, I really like his athleticism and his physicality. So let's see how they shape up. Uh, like you said, I'm not expecting the jazz to win a lot, nor maybe do I even want the jazz to win a lot, but I'm still expecting a lot of um, competitiveness and physicality from the roster as a whole. And Hey, look, Colin Sexton, I think is also, and I know this kind of goes into our, our next topic, but I think, these players moving on and getting traded is allowing new players to step up like Colin Sexton. Um, Richie, what are your thoughts on now this new formed roster going into the, you know, second half of the season and how do you feel the players that stayed around, how they can evolve their game throughout the, you know, next 30 or 35 games? Well, that's a really good question. I think there's still one situation that needs to play out. And that's the Russell Westbrook contract situation, the buyout. Um, it's been reported that the Jazz haven't been willing or that the Jazz have been open to keeping him on the roster for the rest of the season. Um, I think that's really interesting. Obviously, we're, we're Monday. We're four days after the trade deadline and there hasn't been a conclusion. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported today on Monday that... Um, Russell Westbrook was going to keep thinking about it, that he wasn't going to make a decision rapidly. And so I think that's really interesting and it could put the whole season into like a really interesting position as far as the development of some of these young guys. Um, Two of the guys that I think it would affect the most who I think have shined in these last three games. um, Thatcher, you mentioned one of them. It's Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton is going to be a 20 point per game guy the rest of the season. And in his last three games, he's averaged 19.7 points, 5.3 assists, and four rebounds, shooting 55% from the field, 41% from three. Um, I've been really impressed with him. I think his playmaking isn't exactly what you need from a point guard, which is why I think he should be playing with another point guard-esque player in the future. But I think he's doing some things that, frankly, our starting lineup didn't have. Um, his ability to pressure the rim as well as just bring general defensive intensity has been really big. Um, I also think his ability just to get out in transition to make those kind of plays, um, to get to the butt, to get to the basket, to get fouled. There's not a lot of guys on our team that do that. Um, he's been really impressive these last three games. I've been really shocked just by like how easy it is for him to score. And I really think that his time being um, on the bench, being behind Mike Conley has really paid off for him. I feel like his shot selection has been really good. He's not rushing any of his three-pointers. I think that's really big. He doesn't have a very fast shot as it is, but it's really cool to just see him like kind of play like Mike Conley in that sense where he's just kind of waiting for the game to come to him. And I think that's going to be crucial for Sexton is just to get these reps to um, figure out how to incorporate the things that Mike taught him and that he's been learning just throughout the season. The other guy I want to talk about is Taylor Horton Tucker, who has been playing great since the trade as well. He's averaging 15.7 points, seven assists and 3.3 rebounds. Um, what shocks me and surprises me the most out of all of that is his assist to turnover ratio. He's had, he's averaging seven assists in that span and only 1.7 turnovers. That's like a pretty good assist-to-turnover ratio for a guy that we're worried about his decision-making. I think that's really promising. Um, He obviously had a really big game 
against Toronto. He had 23 and seven. I thought his game against, or that was against New York. His game against Toronto was the most impressive game, in my opinion. He had 9.7 rebounds, eight assists, almost broke the triple-double drought. He was plus nine in that game. Um, the field goal percentage wasn't there. He shot 27% from the field. But I just liked how he was able to impact the game in the minutes that he did play. He's been playing about 26 minutes per game since the trade. And he's he's really interesting. I think it's easy to forget because he's been in the NBA so long that the kid is only 22. He's younger than Ochai Ogbaji, the rookie we drafted in this last year's draft. And some of the things he does with the ball, I'm really shocked. I feel like he has a really good handle. His playmaking has been great. Um, similar to Sexton, his ability to pressure the rim is awesome. And I kind of want to see those two play together a little bit because I think it just opens up the floor in a way that um, the Jazz haven't had this season. Um, but yeah, these two guys have shined. I think got to give a little shout out to Simone Fontecchio, who's played some good minutes, as well as Udoka Azubuki. I think the the backup race between Udoka and Damian Jones could be interesting. Udoka will probably be the backup just because of his experience with the system. But it's cool to see these guys step up, get some opportunities, and the Jazz are still playing hard. That's one of the big things that I've been noticing. Um, and one of the big things that I think fans can be optimistic about is that they're still playing really, really hard, and they're having close games. Granted, Toronto's not the best team. Neither is New York. They're playing Indiana as we speak. Um, but I just feel like these reps getting late game minutes for some of these young guys is going to be really big for their development. And it's going to put these guys in a really good position to succeed in the future. Yeah. I don't think that the, the level of competition that they play really matters. I think the fact that they're keeping it close with the roster that they have right now, I think is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, albeit that they've only played Toronto and, and New York so far on this road trip that they've been on. But I really like what you mentioned about all these different guys stepping up in different ways and not like jazz fans are really expecting wins now, but I think what we are expecting is at least for the guys on the roster right now to at least improve in areas of the game where I feel like they were lacking, especially when they weren't playing as many minutes. We talked a lot about, you know, Colin Sexton and um, the guys off the bench, THT. I think that this can also help improve uh, a guy that no one has really talked about a lot since is like Jordan Clarkson. Uh, Clarkson has already improved so much this season in terms of assist numbers, being able to be a better playmaker rather than just go in and create shots. And now with an even more limited roster and without Mike Conley, I think he bears more of a load to try and help teammates out more himself. I think that's an element of Clarkson's game that can still be elevated. Like his shot will always be there. His ability to create, drive into the paint and find good looks. Now I think it's how can he set his these other players up? And especially like I was saying before, Laurie Markkinen has suffered a lot since this Mike Conley trade in the last few days because Mike was able to set up good looks for Laurie. And since then, I mean, he hasn't been able to find really his groove. And he was really off of it in New York. He still got over his 20-point mark, but shot nine for 23. Like, I think this is where we're going to try and find, okay, who can lead this Utah offense? Who can make good looks happen? Because the guys that you lost... Mike Conley was able to help others. Beasley could make his own shot. I mean, he was just hucking up threes, but uh, he was good at it. And so I, I just think that 
while we still don't know about Russell Westbrook, I think this is such an important time for these young guys. They're not going to stick around. Um, most of them are not going to be around for the Jazz's long-term future. But just as a fan, I hope they can improve their game. You spoke about Azubuki. He's been with the program now or the franchise for three years. And I feel like at times he still doesn't know where he's at on defense, on offense. It feels like he's still kind of learning um, where to be. And I know that, you know, Coach Hardy has a new system and such. But I think it's for him especially, like when he first came in, I felt like he's got the body. He's got the defense. At times we've seen the physicality that I feel like he could stay in the league for a long time. I feel like the IQ is what I'm looking for with Azubuki. How can he, does he know where to be um, when they're on offense and especially on defense? So I'm very interested to see what Russ does because again, the Jazz told Westbrook, like, listen, we're going to value playing younger guys to try and get them to develop. But if you want to stick around, we're more than welcome to have you. And the fact that Russell Westbrook is considering it is interesting. I think that's an interesting conversation to be had. The fact that, you know, seven years ago, this man was MVP, averaging a triple-double. Like, Westbrook back in the day with the Thunder was so fun to watch. Um, I think it's very you, it's very easy to forget what that man did over there. But now he's considering staying here, at least, you know, for this season maybe. That's That's such an interesting topic. And I think there's a whole new conversation to be had if he does decide to stick around. Because, again, he's not going to be getting a ton of minutes as, as so far as the, what the front office has told us, but maybe it'll be interesting to see maybe if he can help those other guys like Conley did, but in a different way with his veteran leadership, helping other guys improve their game um, in individual ways. So I think the jazz have a lot of fun stuff to talk about in the near future. Um, and hopefully by next week, we'll be able to learn a little bit more about what's going on with Westbrook, but Hey, we got, we got the all-star weekend uh, this weekend in, uh, in Utah. So that's pretty big. I know Ryan Smith has given away tickets. Rich, you going to apply for any uh, all-star events? You going to try and get to anything? I'm trying to get to everything, man. <laughs> no, I, the, I don't have any. I don't have anything planned. But yeah, I keep entering the giveaways, hope, hoping for something, man. Yeah, they had the they released the celebrity roster this last week. I don't know if you took a look at that. Have you seen Have you seen who's playing? Yeah, I didn't recognize anybody's names on there. Like I recognized. Brian Smith and Dwayne Wade's and a couple of the NFL guys, but they, I, I didn't, I didn't either. And then I'd like look them up and then I kind of recognize their faces. A lot of them play in little like smaller movies, I guess, for the most part. Hey, but we got some Marvel actors in there. I think uh, we got a few big time rappers. I mean, I'm not a big rap guy, so I'm forgetting their names, but I feel like half of the roster is like pretty big time. They got some, they got some good players in there. So I feel like this All-Star weekend could be pretty good. I'm not a big NBA All-Star guy in terms of the game just because of, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of useless for the most part, but I'm feeling pretty optimistic. Uh, you got a lot of new guys because of injuries coming into the game that could make things competitive. But while Utah, the Utah Jazz are trying to figure things out, meanwhile in Salt Lake, we're gearing up for a big party. Hey, you got the TNT crew coming. They're doing a show at the Complex. You could go say hi to Shaq. Maybe we'll get maybe we'll get Shaq on the show. Who knows? Maybe. All right. Uh, moving on. Football news. Um, I know again it's not football season, but kind of big news for Utah football as Andy Ludwig was interviewing with 
uh, Notre Dame, and he was favored to be the leading candidate for them to replace their open offensive coordinator position. Richie, what do you think is the potential impact that him leaving could have on this Utah football program? I think it would be huge. Um, in football, there's just such a big an important connection between your quarterback and offensive coordinator, as well as your quarterback and head coach. I feel like that's probably the most important, intimate um, relationship in all of sports is that relationship between a coach and a quarterback. The Utes have their quarterback coming back. We obviously don't know if he'll be ready to go when the season starts, but it would be really big if he is ready to go because then he would be jumping into a system where he knows the system where he knows what is required of him. Um, however, if he's jumping into new offensive coordinators system um, with limited experience in the system, I think it really changes the outlook of the season for the Utes. Um, Ludwig has been great. He has been a fantastic offensive coordinator. I know there's been some ticky tacky things that some fans haven't liked, but I feel like he's for the most part has been really good. I mean, look at our offense last year. It was fantastic. We were winning We were winning games with our offense, not our defense. And to lose the guy, the genius behind it all, I feel like would be a really big blow for the program and would set us back quite a bit um, as, as far as this next year. I think it's just it's a hard role to fill. Um, I feel like historically speaking, you're probably going to need your offensive coordinator and just your coordinators in general to be around for a couple of years if you want to make a real run at a title. Um, and that might be a Pac-12 title or a national championship, but I just feel like continuity is such an important part of college sports. And where you are able to be have continuity um, is in the coaching staff. Your players are going to change. But if you're able to have consistent coaching staff and they're able to create a consistent culture, it does wonders for your program. And we've seen that with Utah. Um, overall, I, I think it would just be a huge blow and it would be really hard for Utah to recover from that. Um, not impossible, but it would be a really big blow. Yeah. Continuity is key. And that's why a lot of players are coming to play for Utah now because of Kyle Whittingham's sus sustained success. And the fact that we've had an offensive coordinator for more than one year has proven that Utah can be good when they have an offensive coordinator for more than one year. I swear before um, Troy Taylor, every offensive quarter, it was just in, out, in, out. And while our defense was staying consistent, we were able to compete for the most part. Utah just couldn't get over the hump in terms of offensive production. Ludwig's been able to transform that. And while I think Utah will still, because of the amount of starters coming back, they'll still be able to compete. I think him leaving will negatively impact their two best returning offensive players in Brant Keithy and Cam Rising. Brant Keithy because Ludwig's offense literally centers around the tight end and the slot position. That's what Keithy's known for. He Again, he knows the playbook. So you get rid of Ludwig. You kind of you maybe get rid of the impact that Brant Keithy has on the offense. Similar, Cam Rising, in my opinion, I'm, I'm a, such a big Thick Boy 7 fan, but Cam Rising is not, in my opinion, an elite quarterback. Um, I think he's a solid and good quarterback. And his biggest attribute or his greatest quality is the knowledge of the offense. That's why he's so good. 
is because he knows Ludwig's offense like the back of his hand. And so he doesn't have to worry so much about offensive play calling. And then he's able to scout the defense and his mind can focus more on that because he already knows, you know, how to run the offense. You take that away. And I don't know how good Cam Rising can be. I think if Ludwig does leave, the best alternative to maybe not have as big of a negative impact would be to put Jim Harding in as the offensive coordinator. Harding's been able to work with Ludwig. Ludwig's been able to kind of train him a little bit. And Utah likes to hire with in-house. They don't usually like to go outside. Um, And so Jim Harding could be a good replacement uh, if you want to take advantage of what Cam Rising has left in his final year. But this would be such a big blow um, for this Utah offense, especially because, like you said last year, they were able to carry Utah to win so many games. But the defense improved slowly over the year, and now you have a lot of returning starters on both sides of the ball, but on the defense. So I think the defense will be really good this next year for Utah. I don't think it'll be as good as the 2019 Utah football team where you had NFL guys left and right, but I still think this is a solid defense with a ton of young guys and a lot of potential. And this offense has a lot of returning production and a lot of young guys with a lot of potential. So with Ludwig staying, I just think there's no way you can't have Utah as your favorite uh, in the preseason polls. But if Ludwig does leave, Utah's Utah's in trouble. I mean, you look at their schedule, things are not easy this year. I think it's the hardest schedule Utah's faced since being in the Pac-12. And so now with your down, with you being down your best coordinator, I just don't see how you could favor Utah to three-peat, especially with a lot of guys a lot of coaches returning, uh, top players returning. And I think the Pac-12 had some of the top quarterback transfers in the country for a second year in a row. And it's such a deep conference this year. So we'll see how Utah does, but that's some big news. I think Whittingham will be probably be meeting with him sometime this week. We know Kyle was at the Super Bowl. And so while this was transpiring over in South Bend, um, I think Whittingham now has a chance to respond. I say pay the guy. Listen, he's done such good things for your program, um, like you said, in terms of consistency, but also in terms of bringing in talent and taking advantage of what you have on the offensive side of the ball. So I say why not pay him? I think he's the difference maker in probably two or three of the games this year um, if he does stay. Um, and like you said, play, or fans were kind of mad at Ludwig a few times this year. Of course, I think every coordinator has their falls. But you have to admit, like, the guy's good at what he does, and I love his playbook. I think it's so fun to watch um, 95% of the time. So we'll see what happens there. But big news should be coming out of the Utah football program within the next week in regards to Andy Ludwig. But how about them running Utes? I mean, I think every week we're kind of going back and forth in terms of how the season's going to go. Solid outing against Colorado. Again, Colorado is like a borderline NIT team. Um, but in Pac-12 basketball, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, anyone can beat anyone. And Utah just put in another solid game start to finish. And what was I think was more key about this was that they did it all without Gabe Matson. So, Richie, tell me about your thoughts, what you liked from the Colorado game, and how you feel like that sets up the rest of the season. One of the things that really stood out to me was the Utes defense, specifically on Colorado's leading scorer. He only scored six points on 25% field goal percentage. I think that's pretty, pretty remarkable for this running youth squad. And that's ultimately a really big reason why they won the game. Um, you mentioned that Madsen went down and 
we've had some guys step up in minor ways. One of the guys that I feel like has really, really stepped up um, just from his, for his willingness to shoot his rebounding, everything has been Ben Carlson. Um, He hadn't scored 10 points since the Arizona game in December. Um, But in his last two games, he scored 11 and 10 points. He's been awesome. Uh, He's also shooting um, 75% from three over his last four games on eight of 12 shots. I I think that's something to be really, really excited about. Um, He's just been great. He's played really good defense. He's had to play more minutes. Um, He played 30 minutes. Usually he was around like the 20 minute mark, but he's played, he's played a lot more minutes in the last couple of games and Utah has benefited from it. Um, Obviously he was one of many things that went right for Utah against Colorado, but having him be able to be a consistent scorer in the eight to 10 points per game range would be really big for this running youth squad because he's so good at defense. He's really good at defense. He's a really good rebounder. He creates problems in that way. Um, we saw that against Arizona earlier in the season. And so I think that's going to be something that's big for Utah down the stretch is his ability to step up. Um, I was also really impressed with the freshman. Um, Kaba went in, played about 12 minutes, had eight points, five rebounds, a steal. Um, and he also had the Utah's, he had Utah's best defensive rating in that game. Will Exact played 12 minutes, had five points, one rebound, one steal, made a three. It's just awesome. Like that's what you need from these guys. They're not doing too too much, but they are doing exactly what you need them to do off the bench. They're playing limited minutes. They're playing really good defense. They're playing tough. They're bringing intensity and energy to a team that needs a little bit. And I think that's going to be really big for Utah down the stretch as well. Um, I was just really impressed with the way they showed up against Colorado because I think two games in a row against Stanford and Cal, they didn't quite show up mentally. Um, their game plan just wasn't good enough. And I think ultimately that's why those contests were close and neither should have been close on paper, but that Colorado game was a really good way to kind of reset the tone for the rest of the season to get into this last part of the season, these last five games, which you know, is an absolute gauntlet. We've been talking about it for weeks now, how these last five games are going to be brutal. Um, but they put themselves in a really good position third in the pac 12, I think if they just are able to split games each week, then they'll be in a really good spot. I mean, you're still playing two top 10 teams in Arizona and UCLA, but if you're able to beat Arizona State, USC, and then Colorado again, then you're looking really good entering the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, I think this last game showed how Utah responded to losing Gabe Madsen, I think in a way that fans could finally be comfortable with. I felt like for the game's... Um, the two games last week obviously were kind of disappointing for a lot of reasons, but the main thing was they never really found their groove without Gabe. And just like you said, I think it was the contributions of the bench players that really proved, okay, like we can move forward. And Craig Smith has said like he wants to play eight or nine guys, like they just have to prove it. And Kay Bikeda and Wilkins Jr. Exact did exactly that. And just like you said, like they don't have to drop 20 points a game, like you just have to contribute. And that was the problem was I felt like, Besides two or three players like Wooster, Stefanovic, and and Carlson, no one was really contributing on the offensive side of the ball. Ben Carlson showed us like, hey, he may not be able to shoot free throws, but like he could shoot threes and he may not have a jumper, but I feel like for the most part, his three-point percentage is pretty decent for a, a, a power forward. And another key is that 
almost all of the starters, I think, except I don't, I can't remember if Brandon Carlson made a three that game. Did he make a three against Colorado? I can't remember if he did, but besides Brandon, every starter made a three. Let me check. Because, because Brandon's usually one that makes the threes, but Ben Carlson made one. uh, Stefanovic made one. Um, Marco Anthony was making threes. That was the crazy one to me. (laughs) I mean, when you got a flat shot like that, I feel like it's very hard to make a three. Um, (laughs) But I, I just think overall they really found their roles again without Madsen. Like, okay, this is what I need to do without him on the floor. And listen, that probably secured an NIT bid at least. So now you know if Madsen comes back, things will shift again. But I feel like this is helping the players become more confident in themselves. Did yeah. you find out if uh, if Brandon Shaw? Yeah, was? he 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 was zero for three, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. So. Th- like the guy who's usually shooting threes, everyone else, like Ben Carlson and Marco Anthony, like they're the ones that made him. And I think that was the difference. This is, this is just a little aside, but I saw Brandon Carlson. He came into my work the other day and oh. he walked in the door and I was like, Brandon Carlson. And he looked at me. He's like, what? He was just dropping off some stuff that his wife gave him, I guess. But yeah, it was cool. He's, he's really tall in person. He's as advertised a seven footer. So, <laughs> hey, I'm sure I'm sure you're probably just looking straight up, probably hurt your neck for a few seconds. Yeah, straight up blushing. What I mean, what what can a, what can a guy do in that situation, you know? I know, it's pretty it's pretty tough. Um, that's awesome, dude. Um but kind of like I was saying, the offensive production is the key cuz in my opinion, I think if you're a good defensive team, defense travels. And Utah's proven that. I think they've been consistent all year in defense. You look at the top teams in defensive um, or holding their opponents to like limited field goal percentage. Utah's the number four team in the country in opponent field goal percentage. You look at one, two, and three, it's Tennessee, Alabama, Houston. Those are top five teams. Um, that's number one, number two, and I don't know how far Tennessee dropped um, after some devastating losses this last week. But those are, those are like one and two seed NCAA tournament teams. And then Utah's number four. Um, I think Utah fans, if you're watching this year, like you have to appreciate the, what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. I think a lot of it, you have to owe to Marco Anthony, uh, fifth year senior dude knows how to play championship defense and shout out to like the guards. I think they've really stepped it up. Um, Raleigh Wooster, as you've been mentioning in past episodes has been really balling out. And the fact that Craig Smith is playing him for 37 minutes a game is showing his coaches trust him. And he's a, he's a difference maker. And I think while he doesn't flash you with a lot of the offensive capabilities that I think today's world of basketball has, I just feel like he has command of the offense and he's starting to limit his turnovers, which I think was kind of what plagued him uh, last year and some games this year, but he's really starting to get into the groove and no better time to get into the groove than these next five games where you're playing U of a Arizona state USC, UCLA, and Colorado again. Um, So I agree with you. I just think this sets them up so well for these final games because, listen, we could be, I don't know if we'll be having a different conversation if Utah's able to pull off an upset against Arizona and UCLA. Um, Do you think potentially Utah could make an NCAA tournament bid if, say, they went two and three, but the two wins were Arizona and UCLA. Does that change things? Or do you feel like they have to go like three and two, four and one with both of the wins with two of those wins being against the two ranked teams? I think 
if Utah were serious about getting into the NCAA tournament, like if this is a serious conversation that we're having, they're going to have to go 5-0. and And then they're going to have to have a really good tournament showing in the Pac-12 tournament. It's just, if you look at like some of the teams that are around us in the net rankings, um, Utah is currently 53. They have one quad win, um, quad one win. In front of us, Pittsburgh has four. Oregon has four. Um, there are teams ahead of us like New Mexico that has three, but I think they're getting shut down. Or is that New Mexico State? I don't know. Um, but j- just the further point is you have to get a couple of these quad one wins and make a really good appearance, as well as just being clean in quad three and quad four. And that Stanford loss might stink because we were really clean in quad three and quad four before that. We were 3-0 and in quad three and um, 10-0 and in quad four, and now we're 3-1 and in quad three. Um, I do think if Utah wants to get in, they would have to beat all five of these teams and then have a really good tournament run. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that they win the tur- tournament and get the automatic bid, but if they're able to get to like the semifinals and maybe have an upset in the tournament, then the conversation completely changes, and they're able. I think they have a strong case to get in the NCAA tournament. If you look at some of their losses this year, it's like they've lost to Mississippi State, who's ranked. They've lost to Oregon a couple times. Those that stings. They've lost to TCU, who's one of the best teams in the country right now. TCU is really good. They're a really good team. Um, and I mean, they've had some bad losses too. The Sam Houston one doesn't look great. The BYU one doesn't look great. But all things considered, they're in a pretty decent spot. And I mean, if they did go five and zero, then I think we're talking about a surefire tournament bid. If they go four and one and their losses to like UCLA or Arizona, then I think you could still be having this conversation. But I do think the Pac-12 tournament would be that much more important. Um, but yeah, like you said, if they went two and three and their only two wins were against those teams, I don't think it's quite the conversation that we would like it to be. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe they pull some upsets. I'm just looking to get a one seed in the NIT tournament. Like, give me some more home games. Let's go. And plus, I think Utah State is predicted to get a one seed. Um, so I don't know. I'd be down for more home games. Hey, they opened up the curtains. For the Huntsman, for uh, UCLA and USC. They just announced that today. Yeah, that's right. Dude, they're coming back, man. Um, and I'm totally super happy. I'm not saying that like it's NCAA tournament or bust. Of course it isn't. I just think an NIT, um, getting a higher seed in the NIT this, this year um, would be so good for this program. I think it'd be a really good success. Um, I think right now they're hovering around from some predictions have them around the 4-3 seed. Um, there's a few that actually do have them as a one seed in the NIT, which is awesome. So we'll see how that shakes out. But, um, as always, we're going to finish out with our draft segment. We had a fun one last week with breaking bad characters. Uh, Richie, I, I hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl commercial. I think I did. Um, who, who didn't? That, that was great. It's, it's always great to see Walt and Jesse back together. There was so much, there was so much, um, like nostalgia in like so many commercials, but that one, especially cause I'm watching it right now, it just felt different. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, I know a lot of people don't like the Tubi commercial, but I think everyone can get behind the uh, the Breaking Bad one. Um, I had the first pick last week, so you, my friend, have the honors of picking first this week in the Harry Potter draft. Um, and again, it's it's top wizards, so um, don't be surprised by our picks here. But Richie, who are you going with at number one? 
Number one, I, I, it's, it's obvious. I'm taking Dumbledore, Albus Dumbledore, Albus Percival Brian Dumbledore. <laughs> I, mean, I think I missed something. Wilfred or I think something. Missed, yeah, you missed Wolfric, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's impressive, though. For a Lord of the Rings guy, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what can I say? Um, but yeah, I'm taking Dumbledore number one. I, I still think Gandalf would win in the fight between him and Dumbledore. But yeah. that's that's another topic for another day. That's, a, that's another conversation to be had. I was personally thinking this whole open world video game concept with Harry Potter, I feel like that'd be fun with Lord of the Rings. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. I, I 100% agree. Tell, I think would tell me what video game creator would not want to make Middle Earth. Like, well, dude, they had this game. They, I don't know if you've heard of it. Lord of the Rings Conquest. It's like Battlefront, the Star Wars game style Lord of the Rings. And it was awesome. It, ask anybody that's ever played it everybody that i know that has played that game has loved it it's so fun they had like tons of heroes in it you could be any of them it, it just it kicked trash man and that's amazing yeah, they they haven't like made the because a lot, a lot of the old xbox games they've made like remakes that you can download but yeah they haven't done that game but yeah i'd be i'd be that would be an awesome video game i'd love that yeah i love how it's like gta turned uh nerddom and it's it's been awesome. So, all right. Um, number one for me, uh, I think it's obvious. I'm going to go the opposite side. I'm going to go Voldemort. Um, you know, the most powerful dark wizard of all time. He made a few mistakes along the way, but who doesn't? You know. Um, but I I'll take a guy who splits his soul eight times. You know, let's do it. So that's gonna be my first pick. Dude, that's solid. Their duel in in Order of the Phoenix. Oh, it's top notch. <laughs> It's top notch. Top notch. Um, all right, my second one. I don't know, man. Uh, I'm gonna take Gellert Grindelwald. Uh, I mean, those movies suck. I'm sorry. I I know that they hit they hit a certain spot with Harry Potter fans. They just don't hit that spot with me. But I do think the character was cool when he was Johnny Depp. So I'm gonna take him. I mean, movies aside, the character himself, like his background and his story, like he is arguably one of the greatest wizards of all time. Um, and apparently in, in lore, Harry Potter lore, his fight with Dumbledore for the Elder One is the greatest battle of all time. So, I mean, that's also a, a no-brainer. Interesting. I think you got the chemistry, though. You know, Dumbledore, Grindelwald. Hey, that's a... Maybe too much chemistry. <laughs> Just I kidding. think it's perfect. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> um, all right. At two, maybe not the greatest wizard, but I'm going out of popularity. I'm going to go Harry Potter at number two. Um, classic pick. I, I think it's it's a safe bet. Um, so I'm going to go with him at the two. Really good pick. Yeah. I mean, who who knows what he turns into, man? He might be. It's like, he's one of those Giannis Antetokounmpo development stories. It's like, we don't, he could develop into that guy, you know? We know he's yeah. the chosen one, but he could be him, you know? You know what I'm saying? I like it. Yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. All right, my third pick, um, I'm going to take Sirius Black. I just, I love the character. Obviously, really good wizard. Um, yeah, I don't think much more needs to be said. That's a good pick. He was in my uh, he was in our fourth round projections. Um, I was I was saving him, hoping I can get a little steal at the end, but you got ahead of me. Um, at the third pick, I wanted to go with the founder of Hogwarts. Um, I'm kind of debating on which one I want to do. Um, 
I think it comes down to Salazar Slytherin or Godric Gryffindor. Um, but just because he's got a, a cool sword to go along with it, I'm going to go with Godric Gryffindor. Um, Salazar's dope. I mean, the dude made a chamber of secrets and put a basilisk in it. Like that's pretty ballsy. Um, but Godric Gryffindor, he's got the he's got the drip. I mean, he's got the sword. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Godric at the three. Great pick, great pick. I'm I'm kind of jealous of that. I feel like I feel like I gotta match that. Um, so I think I'm gonna take Salazar Slytherin at, at the four. Solid um, pick. Yeah, in Hogwarts Legacy, I'm currently in House Slytherin, so I feel like I could just gotta do the big granddaddy justice, if you know what I mean. That's a, that's the best nickname I've ever heard. The big. The big green granddaddy. That's awesome. Okay. Um, at the four, I'm going to go with Sirius Black's counterpart. I'm going to go with Remus Lupin. Um, I got a werewolf. Um, he's got a good heart. Um, hey, but when the full moon comes out, dude, I I mean, that guy's probably going off for a triple-double. So I'm going to go with Remus Lupin. Great pick. Um Man, number five. I'm sorry. I, I had to think about this. Number five, I think I'm going to take one of the most brilliant wizards slash witches of her generation. I'm taking Hermione Granger. Number yeah. number five. Yeah, that's all. I just, I just, I just feel like we need some smarts in here, you know? Yeah, IQ is definitely needed. Um she yeah, she was in my fifth round projections. That's a great steal. I think that's a solid pick for the organization. Um for me, I'm gonna go with another uh, great witch. Um I think I need I just needed a uh just a powerful woman on my team. I'm gonna get that Minerva McGonagall. I'm gonna take that at five. Um I don't know looking at the roster, uh team chemistry for me might be a little weird. Um I got like Voldemort and Harry Potter, like they got they got they're connected, but in a weird way, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like McGonagall maybe throwing off some vibes. I feel like if if McGonagall wasn't on there, I feel like my team is giving off like Memphis Grizzlies type of vibes. Um, but now that she's on there, I don't know how to feel about it. But I, I feel I feel pretty confident. What about you? Uh, you know, I I feel like I've had better drafts to be honest. I've also had worse, so. That's true. No, I, so, I feel, feel kind of average about it. Maybe maybe next week we do Lord of the Rings, and then you can really get into it. I feel like that's – you'll be able to break down and do some NBA comparisons next week if we do that. Is that a deal? Oh, dude, we'll, we'll get into the deep lore. I'll, I'll pick Luvatar and their gods. We we're, we've, we're, we've entered a wormhole we don't need to enter. We can just block off a whole segment of the show, and you can get into Lord of the Rings, uh, all that good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, thank you all for listening, um, and we hope to see you guys next week. That's it for this week's edition of The Thatcher Effect. See you guys.